every human being, every employee, every worker has this ability to adapt and grow and deal with adversity and take advantage of opportunities if you give them the right environment. And that is really what leadership is about. You are listening to the Business Leadership Podcast with Edwin Fondozo. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever, wherever you're checking this out, Biz Leaders. On today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Josh Burson, the founder and CEO of the Josh Burson Company. We discuss new ways of leadership, the future of work, and his new book called Irresistible. He's an accomplished business leader. Josh also founded Burson & Associates, which is now Burson by Deloitte, and the Josh Burson Academy, the professional development platform. He spent 25 years in product development, product management, marketing, and sales of e-learning and other enterprise technologies at companies including Digital Think, which is now Convergis, Arista Knowledge Systems, Sybase, and IBM. We discuss what what is an iris- irresistible company and what does it mean to have a human-centered leadership strategy, specifically while navigating the flexible work environment going forward. Jumping into leadership and especially where we are in within our society and how things are changing and being post-pandemic, I'd love it for you if you could share the shift, I guess the shift from traditional leadership to this term human-centered leadership and what's really different about it. I've been doing this now for so long. I've seen these management fads or eras or really themes of management come and go at different periods of time. And when I first got involved in HR in the early 2000s, coming out of a business career, everybody wanted to copy GE. And everywhere I went, virtually every company said, how does GE do this? How does GE do recruiting? How does GE do leadership development? How does GE do performance management? How does GE do pay, careers, on and on? And what that was basically was the institutionalization of the industrial model of work, which goes back to the railroads and the oil companies where the humans were the labor and the managers told the labor what to do. So it was labor versus management. And even though not every company was in the manufacturing industry, virtually every company ran their business this way. And it worked pretty well until the 1980s or so when the internet and all sorts of technologies disrupted virtually every industry and every company and companies had to move faster they had to distribute the authority and the responsibility to local levels they had to create more innovation and creativity these were suddenly being asked to take responsibilities for things that managers didn't know they needed to do so the idea that your manager is going to tell you what to do all day was silly because the manager didn't even know what you were essentially doing or working on so this all got flipped around and and so for really a lot of my career I've spent time mentoring and studying these new management practices. I have a book coming out in October called Irresistible, which is about all this. And then the pandemic came along and basically turbocharged this whole thing. Because what happened in the pandemic was every company faced a life or death experience of wondering how they were going to go to market, who they were going to sell to, what they were going to sell. 
and of course, whether their employees were even going to come back to work, where they were going to work, how they were going to work, all, just all these questions happened at the same time. And what companies realized was, wow, if we empower our people and give them the support and education and healthcare and safety that they need, they adapt pretty doggone fast. And they do take care of this company, this business we're in. And maybe they're working from home and maybe we gave them a new job, but they're doing it. And it's a long answer, but I think the pandemic is in many ways a, an injection of adrenaline into this trans, transformation that's been going on for 20 or 25 years that is now very clear. I don't have to explain what's going on to people, why you have to take care of your employees anymore. Everybody knows this now. And then, of course, we now have this incredibly competitive labor market. Virtually every company is having a hard time hiring, 30% turnover rate in the economy. So it's all about being what I call an irresistible company. And that's a new concept of leadership, which we've decided to call human-centered leadership. A couple things that was coming to mind, all these digital transformations that were supposed to happen in 24, 36 right. months or longer, right. they happen overnight right. because the fear of management or the executives is like, oh, I don't know if the, tra- the change management. I love that you put it is that the people are adaptable. One of the things that happened to me that really brought this home to me was during the beginning of the pandemic, my daughter wanted us to go out and take care of some of the homeless people. And I live in Oakland, California. So we went out around Christmas. It might've been the year, it was the year of the pandemic, the first year. And we visited a bunch of homeless shelters and gave a bunch of people a lot of food. And I went, met and talked to a lot of these homeless folks and they're in the worst possible situation in their lives. You couldn't think of a worse environment to be in. And they're living their life, they're taking care of each other, they're figuring out how to get by day. And I realized what we're really dealing with is what I call this unquenchable resilience of the human spirit. And that is that every human being, every employee, every worker has this ability to adapt and grow and deal with adversity and take advantage of opportunities if you give them the right environment. And that is really what leadership is about. It's creating an environment and an alignment and a sense of shared vision where the average person in any level, in any job can say, oh, I'm in, I'm in. I'm going to figure this out and I'll be part of the team to to take this company forward and do whatever it is that needs to be done. And that is the fundamental belief that I have in human beings and management. Now, I have worked for people that don't feel this way. I've worked for managers that clearly do not respect individuals, and they believe that people should be rated and ranked, and everybody should be should pitted be pitted against each other for competition. I, I think that's more or less proven to be incorrect. There are still companies that operate that way, and I think young managers that maybe haven't learned this in their time. So we're trying to institutionalize these ideas. The other thing that I just want to mention on this idea of human-centered leadership, the reason we call it that, it's a silly name because, of course, leadership is human-centered. But the idea was in every business situation, whatever it is, a project, a sales deal, something that you're trying to get accomplished, there's the business issues and there's the human issues. And you can ignore the human issues and you're talking about the business issues and why isn't this happening and how come you guys aren't doing that and blah, or... You can say, maybe there's something about the environment or the clarity of the mission or the skills or the pay or the reward or the culture that's getting in the way. 
And you have to balance both as a business person. You have to deal with the business issues and be fairly ruthless about them. But then you have to sometimes just flip your mind in the other direction. Why is this not happening the way I would like it to happen? Is it me? Maybe it's me. (laughs) So those are all the things that I think companies are becoming very aware of. With this flexible environment or flexible arrangement, it's flipping back now with the pandemic over some organizations are saying, you know what, work from home is not working. I need everyone in. Why is it important to keep this flexible work arrangements now moving forward? I have two thoughts on that. The first is, if you think the world is going to go back to the way it was, you have to give up on that. Life only goes in one direction. It doesn't go backwards, it goes forward. This paradigm of everybody being in the office all the time, just because that's the place you work, is over. So get used to that. So then the question is, how often and when and how do we meet in the office or where do we meet that is going to optimize life going forward? And yes, there's a lot of data that shows, and I have this experience in my company, you have to get together face-to-face for many things, strategic conversations, complex issues, projects, getting to know each other. There are lots of reasons why people have to be physically co-located, but every minute of every day, No, not necessarily. There's a lot of time wasted in commuting. People have families, they have dogs, they have parents at home, they have personal errands to attend to, they don't want to spend the money on traffic, the time. There's lots of reasons why commuting is sometimes counterproductive. For me, as somebody who used to travel every single week, I'm now talking to more people, getting more work done virtually than I ever did when I traveled all over the world. I'm getting more sleep saving money. So what you have to think about as a manager is what are the rules of engagement that you want to have on flexible work that are appropriate for the kind of work you do and the the team that you have. And I think we're going to end up in a world where people do work from home once or twice, one or two days a week. If you're a line worker in a hospital or in a restaurant or something, obviously you can't do that. But, but for those of us, those 30 or 40% of us that are white collar workers, I think we're going to become much more accepting of that. We're going to get better and better tools. I wouldn't be surprised if we have 3D virtual reality <laughs> at home within a few years. And that's, that's the way I see it. And I think some of these statements that come out from CEOs, of, I want everybody back in the office. They're going to really, their employees aren't going to be happy. They're going to lose people by going, being too rigid about it. And I think the evidence is out there for those who have voiced their opinions of coming back to the office. They would see, you would see some, and you mentioned it, you mentioned the numbers in terms of turnover. And part of it might be because the organizations they are in are not changing or not moving towards this, get over it. This is the way work is. Keep it flexible. Well, I remember, Edwin, one one of the other paradigms that I remember very well, when people started bringing their mobile phones to the office and checking their text messages in meetings, I remember being very insulted that somebody could possibly pick up a phone and message somebody else in the middle of a meeting. I got over it. (laughs) How long did it take, Josh? Just the way it is. I didn't like it for a while. And then I said, hey, it's just the way it is. This is one of these paradigms that just changed. And we're not going to go back. So we got to get just get used we to gotta it. We got to get used to it, get over it, and think about how to move forward.
I'd love if you could share from your experience or from your research is some practical strategies on, on for those who need to embrace the power of the yeah. every individual and leveraging the technology, right? Everybody who's ever been a manager has gone through this challenging journey, personal journey of suddenly being responsible for the performance of somebody else. If you've been a parent, you know what it's like to have kids. But if you haven't been a parent, and a lot of people are promoted into management at an age when they don't have kids, it's a new world. And you know what I've often said is moving into leadership is not a new job, it's a new career. All of a sudden, you're getting paid to facilitate or drive or enable a whole bunch of other people to do their jobs as opposed for you to do your job. So your job is very different. And you have to learn your own journey. And I think everybody leads in their own unique way because it's one of the things you do as a leader is you bring your personal style to the role. I think the biggest thing that I would advise young leaders and managers is to listen a lot. Sometimes it's a lot better to say nothing and pay very close attention to what's going on than it is to start telling people what to do or giving lectures or speeches or whatever it may be. Now, this is not, it's counterintuitive. And I think when you're new to management, you feel like, well, I'm the manager, I need to say something. I'm the boss, I need to tell people what to do. I have to make the decision because somebody has to make the decision, so it better be me. Maybe, it, maybe you don't have to make the decision. Maybe somebody else will make the decision for you. So there's a lot of subtleties to leadership that you learn over time. And, and so that's number one. Number two is checking yourself to understand how well you respect the differences of each individual and the diversity of thought and the diversity of your team. We used to do this thing at Deloitte where we used to have this little tool called business chemistry where you would assess, you would assess people based on are you a guardian, are you a pioneer, are you a, are, what type of person are you? Every project or team I've ever been associated with, there's people are different. Some people are very conservative. Some people are very risk takers. Some people are very careful. Some people are very innovative and not very careful. Some people are very creative. Some people are not. Some people are very analytic. Some people aren't, right? You're going to have a team of people. They're not all going to be the same. And you're going to have to learn how to work with all of them and figure out how you can help them work together. And that's another big part of being a leader. If you think you're going to hire everybody who's just like you, you're not going to be a very good manager. And that is a natural tendency is to recruit people that look and feel exactly the way you. That's another blind spot people have. So there's a lot of things you learn about leadership and it takes years. I would say, the third thing I'd say about a manager or leader, give yourself some time. For the first couple of months, it's gonna be different. And the first couple of years, you're gonna look back and say, wow, I've really gotten better at this. <laughs> and find a mentor and I spend a lot of time watching people that I respect and learning from other leaders and observing behaviors at work. And that's a lot of, to me, what the learning process is all about. When you get promoted, it's a new career. Right. And that's something for new business leaders, new managers, you have to think of that and take that to heart. Like this, you're at your net new day zero you're not going to know everything about your job at all. You still got to learn. You got to well, train. You also, might know the job. Yeah. And don't assume that being a manager is the best job in the world. You may decide you don't like being a manager or leader. You know, I, I didn't really move into leadership roles till I was in my 40s. I spent the first 20 years of my career mostly as an individual contributor 
working on projects or teams. And I was fine with that. As I got older and I just found I needed to take on more responsibility in different organizations, I ended up becoming a much more seasoned leader. I never wanted to do it earlier in my career. I did pass, but other people passed me by in terms of money and titles and stuff. And I just let it go. When you're ready and if you get thrown into a leadership opportunity, go for it. It's a lot of people get promoted through what we used to call battlefield promotions. Hey, there's nobody out here to do this. Why don't you do it? Okay, boom, suddenly you're a leader. We talk about recruitment and finding the right culture. How do these managers or these organizations adopt to become irresistible, like within their chosen market? Yeah. There's, in my book, there's seven big principles to doing this. But I think the fundamental thing from the standpoint of recruiting and, and management is for the people that I work with in companies, mostly HR executives and HR departments, building a culture of leadership and talking about leadership and talking about our values and our philosophies is absolutely sacrosanct. I mean, I had an interesting conversation with one of the largest tech companies in the world. I won't mention who it is, but everybody knows who they are. They were redesigning their performance management process, which became a very burdensome, overloaded, bureaucratic, stupid thing that they developed years and years and years. And they wanted to redo it. And they asked me, do you have any advice? Should we have goals? Should we have quarterly reviews? Should we have pay for performance? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, what's your philosophy of leadership? And they all looked at each other. That's a good question. We haven't really talked about it. Come on. You have to have those conversations. Are we a hard driving company? Are we going to take the hill at all costs? Are we going to crush our competition? Are we going to get rid of all the people who don't perform? Maybe you are that. If so, talk about it. But maybe you're not that. And to some degree, your identity as a company should reflect the customers you're trying to sell to and the market you're playing in. So like in healthcare, for example, you'll find that healthcare organizations are very caring companies because they're caring for people all day and they want to hire people and promote people and reward people for their caring instincts. If you're in the tech industry, it's probably a little more of a war. In tech, it's brutal. One month you're in the lead and the next month somebody just killed you. You get to have those conversations and then those kinds of conversations allow you to develop leaders, hire leaders, decide who's appropriate for different leadership. And that really helps the company a lot. And I think you have to have those conversations every year or two. You can't just do it once and then assume you know, that it all stuck. I know the book is coming out. Who should be listening to it and reading it when it comes out? Sure. So the name of the book is Irresistible, The Seven Secrets to Employee-Focused Enduring Organizations. And it was originally written for HR executives, but it turned into a book for management also. And it's really a, a book of stories of hundreds of companies I've interviewed over the years that have found ways to build irresistible organizations focused on employees and obviously business performance and growth. And what are some of those things that I've learned? And the seven, I won't go through the seven things right now, but they're all things that you'll read and you say, yeah, okay, that's obvious, but how do I do that? There are, there's truisms that sound easy, but they're not. Like one is teams, not hierarchy. That sounds easy. Yeah, let's just have teams. 
but how do you run the teams and how do you operate the teams and how do you scale the teams and how do the teams work with each other? And then what is your role as a manager or a leader? Does every team have a leader and a functional manager? And so the book takes you through these seven characteristics of these irresistible companies and gives you lots of tips. So I hope everybody who's in any role in business has an opportunity to read the book and learn from it because it came from literally hundreds of conversations with amazing companies around the world, learning from many leaders and many HR people that I spent time with. I'm curious, what are you doing? Is there any personal practices that you're doing so you can continually grow as a leader or some things that you're stacking on or reading and researching just for yourself to improve? Edwin, thank you for asking, by the way, and thank you for inviting me to do this kind of a talk. I'm in my mid to late 60s, so... I'm at this point in my life where I don't have anything to prove to anybody and I love the work and I love helping companies and helping individuals. I think I'm at this point where I'm trying to learn how to be a leader and not be involved in every decision and not run the company on a day-to-day basis. I have a management team in this company that's very senior and I don't agree with everything they want to do, but I'm learning to not get involved in every decision. entrepreneur, that's very hard. And as an engineer, of course, I'm an engineer, so I like to tinker with things. So that's one thing for me. And the second thing is to remind myself of my values. As you get into sort of the second or stage of your life, I'm not planning on dying anytime soon, but you start to wonder, what is this all about? And why am I doing it? And what is important to me as a person? And how can I bring that to all the people that work in our organization? So I'm spending a lot of time on that. And then just staying physically healthy. Honestly, you know, the pandemic has been very difficult for all of us getting exercise, getting outside, taking care of your mental health. I I had a really bout of COVID. I'm now over it. Keep the mask on. I think that's another big part of life for me right now is just making sure I don't get sick and have some kind of accident. I'd love to get a final thought, maybe one thing, one actionable recommendation you could share to the growing business leader who's listening today. I think the one thing I would leave you with as a business person or leader is um, forgive yourself. Take care of yourself. I think there's a lot of talk about how leaders can make it easier on their teams. And so you you have a lot of stress, too. <laughs> so, you know, get a coach, take some time off, go for a walk, go for a bike ride, take some vacation. Talk to your spouse or your significant other, spend some time with your kids, get a dog, whatever it may be. If you're more secure and happy and focused and centered in your life, the rest of your team will be too. And sometimes you have to force yourself to do that because you're doing so many things for the organization all the time. So maybe I'd leave you with that. That's great. I appreciate that. Josh, thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Edwin. That's it, Biz Leaders. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Business Leadership Podcast. This was episode number 171 with Josh Burson. That was an amazing conversation. There were so many interesting points and different things that I've never thought of. But one that really hit home for me was when he basically said that if you're more secure and happy or focused and centered in your life, the rest of your team will be too, which is really important. And that means everything, especially for someone like myself who has a young family who really puts an emphasis on time spent with them, experiences with them. And the key is to share, share this time, share this quality time, these experiences with your team, your stakeholders, your clients even, 
which is an interesting thing that happens, especially when I do this. Um, it sort of gives these people, your team, permission to also spend that quality time with those who are important in their lives. For more information about Josh, his new book, Irresistible, and any other resources that we shared, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 171 or real quickly hit the show notes below. Please share this episode with three like-minded friends, like-minded business leaders. Tag me at edwin100x. I'd love to say hi. This episode was brought to you by Slingshot Communication, the business leader's preferred, preferred cloud phone service. What I, what I really like about the service is that I am able to have my own personal business SMS number that is separate from my cell phone, my personal number. Um, in the past, it was very difficult to separate my business and my professional life on my personal home phone, on my personal cell phone. But now, with Slingshot, I have the option to text professional contacts, clients, stakeholders from my business line, and then turn it off. Turn it off at five, turn it off over the weekend, and get back to it when I choose to. If you want to learn more, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash SMS. Of course, the links are below. And by the way, if you haven't done so yet, please give the show a follow, leave a review, a comment on your favorite podcast player. It actually helps our show. It helps other business leaders like you discover the show. And I do love reading the comments you leave. But until next time, do your best and have a 100x day. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast with Edwin Fondozo.